Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. The back-to-back January mass shootings in California stirred familiar conversations around gun control that we've all heard before. But the latest tragedies have also spotlighted other serious concerns. Concerns like mental health resources for Asian Americans when 11 elderly Asian people were killed in Monterey Park. In Half Moon Bay, seven people shot dead at two mushroom farms, a horrifying massacre committed by one of the farm workers there. It shook the Bay Area, and then the photos came out. San Mateo County Supervisor Ray Muller toured the farm and tweeted photos of the farm's living conditions. He shared his thoughts with ABC7 News Bay Area. Horrible, horrific, uh, deplorable conditions. Uh, we saw basically what looked like sheds, uh, storage containers that people were living in, no insulation, no running water, uh, nowhere would you or you would ever want to prepare food. He wasn't the only person who took notice. Governor Gavin Newsom announced that his administration was investigating the farms involved in the shooting to, quote, ensure workers are treated fairly and with the compassion they deserve. But advocates of California farm workers say that this is hardly a new story. They've been talking about the deplorable living conditions of farm workers for years. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle reporters Nora Mashanik and Matthias Gaffney join me to discuss what we're learning about the housing options available at the two Half Moon Bay farms, as well as in farms across the state. Later, Darlene Tennis, a farm worker caravan, joins me. She organizes a grassroots effort to provide emergency supplies to farm worker families in counties like Santa Clara, Monterey, and Santa Cruz. Tennis will explain the unique vulnerabilities facing farm workers, people she calls the most essential workers in the country. Let's start with Chronicle reporters Nora Mashanik and Matthias Gaffney. Thank you both for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Nora, I'd love to start with you. Shortly after the Half Moon Bay shooting, you reported on the living conditions at the two mushroom farms over there. What can you tell me about them? Well, the living conditions were substandard, to say the least. These farm workers were living in shipping containers, uninsulated from the cold, from the heat. They were cooking outdoors with propane stoves, sometimes with dirt floors, very rudimentary style stoves with gas tanks hooked up. They were also just strewn with what seemed like the belongings of far more people than were actually living in them. I mean, they were just full of broken toys and chairs and old mattresses and and just so much debris um, in these spaces, some people were living in what looked to be very old mobile homes. The, they were just clustered together. Um, so conditions that really, I think, none of us would want to to live in, let alone have farm workers living in. The workers that live on these farms in housing provided by their employers often have to pay to live in these conditions. So They sometimes will have to pay up to $300 a month to live in these conditions that have been described as deplorable and squalid. 
Now, Matias, San Mateo County officials, they opened an investigation in light of these living conditions that Nora is describing. And your reporting found that these two Half Moon Bay farms, California Terra Garden and Concord Farms, they weren't permitted to house their workers. Tell me what you found out. Shortly after, um, you know, covering this shooting, I started to kind of poke around about the living conditions. Obviously, the governor called the conditions squalor, um, the district attorney and a supervisor called the conditions deplorable. And I wanted to look into that and see if they had the proper permits and the proper regulations met. And what I soon found was that they're supposed to do annual inspections. Um, the uh, Department of Environmental Health with San Mateo County And there were no inspections done at either of the properties. And so I started poking around, looking at uh, the records, and soon I realized there had been no permits for uh, farm worker housing. And that's a requirement. If you have five or more farm workers living on the property, you need to get a permit. And the county told me there's no inspections because they never got those permits. In addition, uh, farm workers that are documented or have work visas, um, there are requirements for their employers to um, provide them food and housing. And so in general, there was a lack of uh, permitting. And the the uh, California Terra Garden owners, when I contacted them about that, said they were unaware of such permitting requirements. Nora, it's also striking to hear that it's not just farm workers living in these conditions, but entire families. At California Terra Garden, we're talking about around 27 people with their spouses and children. What do we know about the vulnerabilities that these people face? Well, we know that many farm workers are undocumented, and so they feel unable to speak up. They fear losing their housing, their source of income, if they were to demand the rights that they should have, even if they are undocumented. Um, The fear of deportation runs deep and with, it goes beyond just the language barriers. So many of them are only Spanish speakers or speak indigenous languages from Mexico or they speak Mandarin or Cantonese. and, And so they're just not even aware of their rights. But once they're informed of their rights, there's still the, the lingering fear of speaking out. And an advocate told me that she felt having toured these farms, having seen the living spaces that they live in, that she felt for all the services that she and her organization pro- could provide, there was no real solution that she could offer and, and that there was just a sense of, of hopelessness. Now, Matias, we're starting to learn some more details about the Half Moon Bay shooting suspect. His name's Chung Lee Zhao, and he confessed to the shootings in a jailhouse interview with local TV station NBC Bay Area. He told them he was subject to bullying and working long hours. What are we learning about his life on the farm? Yeah, we're slowly getting more and more information about that. Um, He'd been working there for about a decade. He'd switched between um, both of those farms where the shootings happened. And, you know, we spoke to former co-workers and former bosses who kind of said he was prone to get into disputes with his colleagues. And 
As far as the conditions, we don't know a ton about that, but we, we've learned from the district attorney that they believe he began his shooting rampage over a $100 dispute where he was asked to pay for damage that was done to some of the farming equipment. So we get kind of peeks into that um, whole community. Also, we know that seven months prior to these this mass shooting, there was another shooting at the California Terra Garden farm where farm workers got into an argument. They were there late at night because they lived there and they were having um, basically like a barbecue in some of the communal living areas. And they got into an argument and one of them shot into another person's trailer um, after the arguments and the bullet wound up in the wall of a couple who lived there together. Seven months later, um, the husband of that couple wound up dying um, in the mass shooting. It's important to note that, you know, these living conditions that we're learning about are not by any means issues that are isolated to these Half Moon Bay farms. Nora, what are the common challenges that California farm workers face as a whole? Yeah, it's important to point out that this shooting has highlighted the conditions, but the reality is many people, including local and state officials, have known for a long time that these conditions exist and that farm workers as a whole tend to be exploited simply because they are in a very vulnerable position. Farm workers face the incredible uphill battle of having to work long hours. 70% of the farm workers in San Mateo County live on the property where they work, so they tend to be extremely isolated with very little access to outside information beyond the farms where they work. There have been attempts to unionize farm workers in recent years, but again, those unionization efforts have run into the same problems that advocates have run into when trying to inform farm workers of their rights and get them the safer conditions that they need. Matthias, what else have you learned? Maybe speaking a little bit to just San Mateo County um, as a whole, they actually tried to tackle this issue with their farm worker community a number of years ago. And around 2016, they, they came up with this report from this outside consultant, how to improve their housing, how to get them housing. Obviously, you can imagine um, the difficulty in farm workers working on farms along you know, California's coastline, that's some of the most valuable property in the world. Um, how do you um, find them housing? And and they came up with plans to, you know, provide short-term loans for farmers to try to um, get the housing, try to work through third parties to make housing outside of the, the farm itself um, that's affordable. Um, they came up with a lot of roadblocks. I tracked down um, an email from last year sent to a county supervisor that included pictures of just dilapidated conditions at a nursery that um, was not too far away from these two farms and um, asking for an inspection on there. So this was all um, the county's effort to try to tackle um, these issues. And yet here we are uh, six, seven years after that that effort was launched and we still find these conditions that the farm workers in this tragedy were living in. Mm. 
Now, Nora, it's already been mentioned that the, these issues have attracted the attention of Governor Gavin Newsom and the state district attorney. Let's listen to what they had to say about the living conditions during a press conference last week. Living in shipping containers. Folks getting nine bucks an hour. You want to verify the California minimum wage? Not nine dollars an hour. No health care, no support, no services. But taking care of our health, providing a service to each and every one of us every single day. Now, Nora, what have state officials promised to do now? Well, they've promised investigations from the local level to the state level. Everyone is saying that conditions for farm workers need to be investigated. There needs to be more oversight. I think what's unclear is what is the timeline of those investigations and what is going to come of them? What this tragedy has laid bare is the ugly side of food production in the United States and particularly in California. You know, as Americans, we enjoy relatively cheaper food than a lot of other industrialized nations because we benefit from the exploitation of laborers on farms. So I think it's really unclear what the state can do once these investigations are complete. Farm workers already enjoy a lot of protections in the state of California, um, some of which were passed after four workers died of heat exhaustion in 2005. So there was legislation passed to protect farm workers from having to work in extreme heat. And there are rules for pesticide safety and They can also access workers' compensation. So under state law, there are no exceptions for workers' compensation claims, meaning someone who is undocumented can apply for them. But all of these protections that I've just listed, it requires them to have the power to advocate themselves, which right now they really don't have. Matias, Nora is making some good points here, and the farm has responded to Uh, these living conditions, what have they said they will do now? Yeah, so California Terror Garden, after we confronted them with the fact that we determined the county had never received the farm worker living permits that were required of them, they acknowledged that they need to get those uh, permits and those codes up to date. Um, They said it was unknown to the management before um, the shooting and before the county's probe. Um, And now they are planning on constructing new living quarters for their farm workers. Um, They said it's going to take about a year to have those permanent residences set up. They will have all the proper state and local permits. Um, And in the meantime, for that year that is under construction, they plan to put up their workers in local housing areas off the farm um, so they can continue living nearby uh, the farm. Matthias Gaffney and Nora Mashanik are reporters at The Chronicle. Find their coverage of the Half Moon Bay Farms and the mass shooting at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. After a quick break, I'll speak with Darlene Tennis. She's the founder of Farm Worker Caravan, a grassroots organization that supports California farm workers. You might be surprised by the living conditions at farms like the ones in Half Moon Bay. Tennis says advocates like herself have been raising red flags for years. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. 
I'm back with Darlene Tennis, the founder of the grassroots organization Farm Worker Caravan. Darlene, welcome to Fit the Mission. Thank you so much for having me today. Darlene, you and your organization, Farm Worker Caravan, sprung into action after the tragedy in Half Moon Bay to assist workers and their families who were displaced by the shootings. What have you been providing for those families? How are they doing? The first couple of days, the immediate needs were food and uh, clothing because they were removed from their housing and um, put into a motel because it was an active police investigation. We expected them to be there just until Thursday of last week, and they were going to go back. That was the original plan, depending on how the investigation went. But then, of course, this great revelation for everybody about the living conditions that they were in. So they're not going to go back to where they were living now, because now there's been a national spotlight on that. Yeah, you're calling it a revelation, but it certainly isn't for people like you who have been aware of these issues for a long time. You know, we're talking about things like people living in shacks without insulation or proper cooking facilities even. How common are these conditions for farm worker housing? And what have you seen and heard through your own work? It's a very common. So I don't want people to think that it is a rarity what you're seeing in Half Moon Bay because it is not a rarity. It is common. There are some good farm worker housing and some great developers that have been doing some farm worker housing, particularly in the Central Coast area. Um, so there are some nice facilities that have been built. But, you know, I don't think people realize how many farm workers that we have in California, depending on the season and, you know, what's going on. It's 400,000 to 800,000 farm workers in the state of California. So that's a very considerable population of people. And they're very much a shadow community, a community that people don't really see and they keep to themselves. Even the housing you saw in Half Moon Bay, those are for H2A workers and H2A workers are very much like the high-tech industry where you can bring in certain workers to do certain jobs if you cannot find a U.S. person uh, to do that job. Under those visas, the employer is required or or contractor is required to provide them with housing and, and meals. That does not mean the housing and meals are free. I mean, for instance, I got a text from a farm worker and she's living in these metal boxes that they built as housing for them. And she just told me that she's paying $2,400 a month. It's for a one room place. There's her and her husband and four children are living with one bed and they're charging them $2,400 a month. I mean, those are prices we see in cities like Oakland and San Francisco even, right? Right. But those are also people that have a legal status here. They have a credit They have somebody to co-sign for them. They have pay stubs. They have some sort of stability. So they don't have any of that. So they're at the mercy of others. Right. That is striking, what that example you just gave us. Tell me more about the systemic issues that really highlights for you that these farm workers are so essential and they're living in these kinds of conditions, yet they're paying these kinds of costs. Yeah, I mean, these are people that are providing food to everybody in America. There's not a single person in America that doesn't benefit from a farm worker. I don't care how packaged or plastic is over your food or crackers or whatever you're eating. At some point it has touched a farm worker's hand. 
So they are the most essential workers in this country because everybody eats. They are living in conditions like a third world country. And we are in the United States of America. Now, Darlene, also many people are raising concerns about the mental health pressures that farm workers face because of this tragedy. What have you encountered in your work in talking to workers about the mental health issues that they may be facing? The majority of workers are not documented, do not have visas. So they are worried about their documentation status, about getting thrown back over the border. They're worried about pesticides in the fields, particularly the women, because it damages their pregnancies. The very high rate of injuries um, with the equipment on the farms. Agricultural industry is exempt from child labor laws, so people don't realize that. There is child labor in the U.S., a lot of sex abuse. So the women are are sitting ducks, basically. They call the fields the green hotel because they get raped and abused all the time because people know they're not going to report it. You know, there's so many, they have so many like just daily issues that they have to deal with. And then, you know, finding places to live. You know, these people are working 40 to 70 hours a week and they are living like un- the unhoused population. These people don't have advocates. When we have emergencies, when we have wildfires, when we have floods, we're like, what's the city going to do? What's the county going to do? What's the state going to do? What's the federal government going to do for us, right? That's wiped clean. They have nobody to go to. Darlene, I'm Chinese-American. I was born and raised in the Bay Area. And I admit, I haven't heard much about Chinese immigrant farm workers in Half Moon Bay. Do they face some of the same issues as Latino workers? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's across the board with farm workers. Um, we have, of course, Japanese that were in the farming community. And then you have a lot of Filipinos and Asian Indians that have been in, but, but Chinese, um, I really had never seen it. So about 92% of farm workers are Mexican or from Latin American countries. About 85% are from Mexico though. So the large majority are from Mexico. And so that other 8% is a miscellaneous of different countries and things. And Darlene, a 2017 report from the San Mateo County Department of Housing found that the county needs more than 1,000 new units to accommodate farm workers and their families. What kinds of affordable housing options are available for farm workers in the communities that they live in, if, if they exist at all? Most farms actually in California are owned by families. There is some decent farm worker housing. So there are attempts to do it. It's really hard to build farm worker housing because nobody's making money on it. <laughs> you know, people like developers like to make money, right? So you do need that combination of government funds and, and private funds and different funds to make it happen. Because it's not usually, it's not a money maker. What has it been like for farm workers to suddenly be thrust into the spotlight in this way and for their living conditions to be exposed? Well, I really feel for them because, again, this is a hidden community normal and they're trying to always stay undercover. And they've been thrust into the national spotlight and reporters have been swarming them and circling around them like vultures trying to get and not, you know, I mean, I know you're a reporter, too, and it's your guy's job. But these are people that are not normally in the public eye at all. They're very undercover. And then they have the stress of being undocumented. Not all of them are undocumented at that farm, but some of them are. 
Um, so it's very, very stressful going through the victim of violence. Their children were there when when the shooting happened. So that is a very stressful situation. And how does it make you feel to see politicians and local leaders having to answer questions about these living conditions? You know what? It's not it's nothing new. You know, I like that people are just shocked by it, but it's it's nothing new. And it's not like we haven't said it before, you know. I mean, every time I do an interview, I always used to talk about the working conditions. But I think sometimes, you know, people are listening for certain things at the time. You know, when we were doing all the wildfire coverage and the smoke coverage and the flooding coverage and all that, it has always been mentioned that there's problems with the living conditions. But that's not the focus of what people were hearing. Right. I mean, you don't know sometimes how people are living, right? So we see them at the distribution sites. We see the housing on the farms and, and we see that, but we don't see where these other people are living because they're living basically in homeless camps and things like that. And they don't allow us access even because they don't want government people going there. They don't want to get deported. They don't want their children taken away from them. You know, they're ashamed of how they're living. They're living better in Mexico than they're living in the United States. So for three years, we've been trying to get videos and photos, but because this has been a national story, the difference is that they saw a picture. People need to see it. That's why, again, this has become a story because people actually saw it. Um, you know, back when child labor was happening in the United States in the 1900s, nobody really did anything about it until they saw the photos. There was a photographer that went out and took photos of the children working in the factories, working in the fields, working all that. And then they distributed it to the media and people were shocked. They were like, how could these children that were five, six years old be working, right? And then that's when the labor law, the child labor laws came about. Of course, as a reminder, their agricultural industry is exempt from child labor laws, but those laws came about because people needed to see it. And I think right now for us, we are working on doing that. They don't believe it until they see it. Mm -hmm. Now, are there things, Darlene, that us as California residents who rely on these essential workers so much, are there things that we can do to help support them? I think contributing to um, some of the small grassroots organizations. When I started Farm Worker Caravan, I started a coalition because I found that a lot of these small grassroots organizations, like All Us is in Half Moon Bay, who we already had a relationship with, so we knew exactly who to work with on the situation. But there's Center for Farm Worker Families in Watsonville. There's, um, you know, La Puente and Pajaro. There's Alasal in Salinas. So there's all these different agencies that work with their the particular communities, and so they're very tight knit with their communities. And um, I have a list of them on our website, farmworkercaravan.com, under partners. Um, you'll see a list of some of the smaller grassroots agencies that work with them. Darlene Tennis is the founder of Farmworker Caravan. To learn more about her organization and to support those partners she just mentioned, visit farmworkercaravan.com. Thank you to Sarah Feldberg and Francesca Fenzi for producing and editing this episode and to you for listening. <laughs> 